we come to the preaching of God's Word this Monday, Thursday. If you would, take a copy of the Scriptures and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And we have read part of the chapter already, and I will continue our reading of verses 22 through 42. Before we hear God's Word read, let us pray once again. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given Jesus as the perfect and only mediator. And as our mediator, he is the high priest who represents us before your throne, the one who has passed through the heavens for us. Help us tonight that as we hear your word read and preached, that it would build us up, that we would hold fast our confession. I pray for brothers and sisters who are struggling this evening, that tonight they would see the glory of Christ, their great high priest, the one who, because of his life, death, and resurrection, can sympathize with our weakness, the one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And it's because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us that our great God, tonight we draw near to your throne and we bless you that we find a throne of grace and that we can receive mercy in our time of need. So may the preaching of your word, God, by the power of your spirit, be the ministry of grace and mercy to your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the word of God from Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and saying the same words. 
And again, came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Amen. That ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Here the last night Jesus spends with his disciples, it's broken into three scenes. The first scene is the upper room scene. And there he institutes the supper. From there they move to the garden of Gethsemane. And from there he will be betrayed by Judas. The final scene, he is taken before the Jerusalem council. And there in the courtyard below, as Jesus is accused before the high priest, Peter denies him three times. Tonight, we're not going to look at all three scenes. We're going to look at the upper room, and we're going to look at the garden. In the upper room, we are introduced to the supper for sinners. And in the garden, I want us to see the sorrow of the Savior. But first, the supper for sinners. In verses 22 through 24 of verse 14, here it is. We're given an explanation of Jesus' death, and we are introduced to a new meal on this occasion. Now, the reason the night begins in an upper room in Jerusalem is that that's where Jews were to celebrate the Passover feast. And Jesus has made preparations to celebrate that Passover with his disciples. We saw that in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 14. Now, what was the Passover feast? What was it that they were observing? The Lord commanded the Jews to annually observe this feast, recalling what he had done for them when they were slaves in Egypt. The first Passover, God told his people that he was going to execute judgment against Egypt and the Egyptian false gods by striking down all the firstborn of men and beasts. In striking the land of Egypt, the Lord delivered the people of Israel from slavery. On the night that God executed judgment against their oppressors, the Lord gave his people a stay-at-home order. At twilight, the households of Israel were to kill a lamb and then spread its blood on the lintel of the doors. Then they were to bring the lamb inside and roast it. And they were their shelter in place for the night. That night, the Lord struck down the firstborn of all the households that did not have the blood. But he passed over the households that had the blood and that the people were inside eating the roasted lamb with unleavened bread. And Jesus wants to celebrate this feast one more time with his disciples. And Mark succinctly recounts the last meal with his disciples before the cross. And he does so in such a way that he doesn't want us to miss the connection between the Passover sacrifice and his death. There's many things that Mark could have told us about this meal, but he does so with a brevity in such a way that we don't get lost in the ritual of the Passover. He wants us to see that Jesus wants to communicate to his disciples that this will be the last time that they will need to participate in the ritual observance of the Passover. And the reason is that 
On the next day, Jesus would be the last and final Passover sacrifice. See, when Mark recounts the meal, he doesn't include the roasted lamb. It's not mentioned. And R.A. Finlinson captures what Mark wants to communicate. In writing that, and I quote, Jesus, with infinite majesty and quiet deliberation, lays as it were the Paschal lamb aside and places himself on the table, end quote. That's the picture that Mark is painting for us here. And the Apostle Paul directly states, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Jesus, the final sacrificial lamb, gives his disciples a new meal here. It's a simple meal, but it's filled with extraordinary meaning. The first part of the new meal is the eating of the bread in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. The bread is to be the sign of his body. Jesus had told his disciples that he was to die in Jerusalem. He explained to them that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45, which means he would die in the place of others. A couple days earlier, a woman anointed Jesus with expensive oil. Some who saw her do it said, why was this oil wasted like that? And Jesus rebuked them saying, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now Jesus gives bread and he says, here's the body that will be buried for you. Here is the body that will pay the ransom for your sin. Here is the body that will be sacrificed so that eternal death can pass over you. That's the first part of the meal Jesus gives. The second is the drinking of the cup. In verse 23 and 24 of Mark 14, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. Verse 24, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He gives them a cup of wine as a sign of his blood. Jesus is explicitly telling them that his death will be vicarious in this sign. By vicarious, I mean that he is giving his blood in the place of someone else's blood. His blood will be a substitute for the blood of others. We know this because it is his blood that is said that will be poured out for many. Poured out is a descriptive action of substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus here is identifying himself as the suffering servant spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. The prophet said of the suffering servant that he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 12. Now Jesus gives the cup and says, here is my blood poured out in place of your blood. My blood will pay for your sins. Anyone that will place their faith in my bloody sacrifice, their sins will be forgiven. Now at the beginning of the night, which was read earlier in verses 17 through 21, Jesus tells of his betrayal that will happen later that evening. 
And then after the meal, Jesus speaks of his disciples falling away in verses 26 through 30. Betrayal and falling away are the bookends, and in between, Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper. You see how Mark has framed the scene here in the upper room. He's framed it in such a way that we see the necessity of Christ's sacrifice, and we see our need for sovereign grace. The story is told in such a way that we see the nature of sin. It is not by accident that the sequence of events leading to the cross includes a betrayal. Jesus told them in verse 21, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Psalm 41.9 says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And here, Psalm 41 is fulfilled. Judas, a friend of Jesus, a friend who shared many a meal with him, a friend who was there in the upper room, he is the one to betray Jesus. And where does that betrayal take place? It will take place in the Garden of Gethsemane. It will take place in a garden. The first man, Adam, betrayed God in a garden. That night, the second Adam, the Son of God, will be betrayed in a garden. Sometimes you and I might downplay some of our sins, certain sins. We may tell ourselves that they're not that bad. Every sin is a turning away from God. Every sin stems from the fact that we have come into this world descendants of traitors. As our creator, God is our rightful master, and the nature of sin is serving any other master than him whether it be ourselves or his creation. Only one person who has ever walked the earth was not of the race of traitors. Only one person has never betrayed God. That person is Jesus. And that when he took on flesh, he lived as the God-man in perfect obedience, not once betraying the will of his father, even when it was most difficult to obey, as we see here Thursday and Friday. And that is why he could be the sacrifice to pay for our betraying of God. Do you know the weight of your betrayal? Maybe you don't think lightly of your sin. Perhaps the guilt of your sin is crushing you this evening. If you are not trusting in Jesus as your Savior, it should. You should be terrified of bearing God's judgment for your sins. And tonight, I would say learn from Judas, but don't do what he did. He despaired his betrayal, but tragically, he does not turn back to Jesus. Your betrayal will be paid for by you spending all of eternity in hell or it was paid for by the death of the sinless son of God. No matter how bad your sin, you can be freed from the guilt and saved from eternal damnation because of Jesus' death. 
Learn from Judas. Regretting sin is not enough. You must turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus as the only sacrifice for sinners. But on the night that he was betrayed, we don't just see the nature of sin. We are also shown the nature of grace. Right after Jesus gives the new meal, what happens? There's a transition in the scenery. Jesus and the disciples, they sing a hymn. Most likely one of the the later Hillel Psalms. They leave the upper room and they go to the Mount of Olives. What is the next thing that Mark tells us Jesus told his disciples? Right on the heels of instituting the Lord's Supper, Jesus recalls the words of the prophet Zechariah and says, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now think about it. If you were there, this is recent. This is right after the supper. You could probably still smell wine on the breath of the disciples after partaking of the cup. It was not long after the meal that he gave them that he tells them, you will all fall away. Mark here is highlighting the unworthiness of the recipients of salvation and thereby glorifying the grace of God. Remember earlier in the evening when Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Mark 14, 19. How did all the disciples respond? Well, verse 20 says, They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? In a moment of honest vulnerability, each of the disciples knows that they are capable of betraying Jesus on this night. And it is for these disciples that he gives his body and blood. Mark wants us to understand that the Lord's Supper is not for the worthy, but for sinners saved by grace. No one comes to the table of the Lord because they have made themselves worthy. We come to the table by grace. And at the table, saved sinners commune with Jesus. This supper for saved sinners is a meal by which we commune with Jesus and with one another. The table of the Lord is a sign and a seal of Jesus' love for each and every disciple of his. But in instituting the bread and the cup, he gave it not to a disciple, but to the disciples. He designed the table to be a shared meal. It is part of the nature of the sacrament that it is shared among believers in person, together. So tonight we break with trans, uh, tradition. Normally on Monday, Thursday, we commune together with our Lord and one another. But we won't be observing communion until we're able to do so again in person. Tomorrow, the elders of your sea have called a fast that we are to pray together tomorrow. In a way, our fasting begins tonight because we are unable to be together at the Lord's table with brothers and sisters that we love. But is that love is why we call this night Monday Thursday. Monday comes from the Latin word for commandment. The commandment of Monday Thursday 
It comes from John's account of the upper room. There Jesus tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. We can't share our love for one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord at the table tonight. But let our fasting remind us of the love we do have for one another and long for the day that we will be together communing with our Lord and each other. Monday, Thursday, Jesus institutes a meal for sinners. But in order to give that meal, it will require him on Friday to travel the path of terrible sorrow. And while there's many things to consider in this passage, I don't want us to miss the sorrow of the Savior here. In chapter 14, verse 34, we see the sorrow of the Savior. We get a glimpse into his soul, and we see the sorrow that has befallen him. In verse 34, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Isaiah 53 says that the suffering servant of the Lord is a man of sorrows. Jesus is that servant, and sorrow was a part of his suffering. In his book, The Glory of Christ, John Owen points us to the Garden of Gethsemane when he writes, how can we begin to think of the sufferings of Christ? We might see him in his agony and bloody sweat, in his strong cries and supplications, when he was sorrowful unto death and filled with horror at the sight of those things which were coming upon him, the dreadful trial he was about to enter, end quote. In verse 34, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John of this sorrow. There's no way to comprehensively describe or understand the sorrow Jesus was experiencing in his soul. But Mark here does give us a glimpse, a window into what Jesus was experiencing in the garden. We see that an aspect of Jesus' sorrow is there's loneliness. Jesus' sorrow is because of the loneliness he will face in the coming day. We, we must remember, Jesus, he loves these guys with him. He loves his disciples. In Mark's gospel, the disciples are almost always by Jesus' side. We're introduced to some of them in chapter 1. In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus calls the 12, this is what it says. He went up on a mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. They would join in the ministry of preaching and casting out demons. But first, they're the ones that Jesus desired. But first, they're the ones who he calls just to be with him. He truly loved his disciples. He loved to be with them. They were not merely his disciples. They were his friends. And we see in the gospel account that his, his friendships go beyond the twelve. John tells us that he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And there's many others. He truly loved his friends. And he loved them not just with the eternal love of his divine nature, but with his human nature 
he loved his friends. With his two natures and his one person, Jesus loved his friends in a way that no one had ever loved a friend before. He was the best friend the world has ever known. Camaraderie. Camaraderie was the word that Pastor Jason used in his Connecting Points video today. Jesus enjoyed the camaraderie he shared with his friends. As he was preparing for the cross, he wanted Peter, James, and John by his side. And as he is greatly distressed and troubled, his friends fall asleep. They fall asleep three times. And then they all scatter. As he stands trial, Peter will deny him in the courtyard below. John seems like he will return and he'll be among those looking on at the cross. But Jesus' closest earthly companions will offer him no comfort through the night and into the next day. See, Jesus did not leave the disciples to go die on the cross. They left him as he faced his darkest hour. Surely, the sorrow he is facing is from loneliness. And loneliness, the sorrow of loneliness, is a big part of what is so horrible about the pandemic that we're facing now. Many of you are alone right now. Maybe you're healthy, but all alone. And you're doing so that you can do your part to help flatten the curve. Jesus knows what it means to be alone in an hour darker than the hour we are all facing right now. Look to Jesus. If you have the virus, if you have COVID-19, you must face it alone. Quarantined in a room within your home or at a hospital. If you're at a hospital, you're not entirely alone, but you're with strangers. You are away from all those who know you. If you must be in a hospital, thank God for the compassionate doctors and nurses who are risking their health to care for you. But it is terrible to suffer and not have longtime friends or family members by your side. Jesus knows what it is to suffer without his earthly companions by his side. Look to Jesus. And I need to say something to our heroes right now. Those medical professionals who are serving on the front line, we are all praying for you. And to the medical professionals who are Christians, we are especially praying for you right now because you are where the rest of us cannot minister right now. And you are ambassadors for Jesus to many who are facing death. Tell the suffering to look to Jesus. Jesus experienced the sorrow of loneliness. But there is a greater sorrow that Mark shows us. It is the sorrow of the cup. Jesus asked his father if the cup could pass from him here in the garden. But Jesus had promised his disciples a cup of blessing. To give them that cup, he will have to drink the cup of cursing. The sorrow of the cup is the most intense sorrow the world has ever known. 
And it is the most intense sorrow because it is the sorrow of the eternal son of the father. In Mark 14, 27, when Jesus told his disciples they will all fall away, he cites Zechariah 13, 7, saying, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. His disciples are the sheep. He is the shepherd. And his father is the eye. He knows his father loves him. And he trusts that his father will only ask him to bear what is necessary for our salvation and nothing more than that. Yet it is a tremendous sorrow because it is the father who will strike the shepherd. It is a tremendous sorrow because it is the father who will pour out the cup on the son. How much does the father love the son? No words can describe. How much does the father love sinners? On Friday, he will pour out the cup of his wrath on his beloved son. How much does the son love and trust the father? On Thursday, he says, not my will, but your will be done. How much does the son love his friends? He will pour out his own blood for them while they were still traitors. Amen. And that ends the preaching of God's word. Let us ask for his help in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your body and blood. Thank you for doing your Father's will. In our time of need, we look to you, the author and perfecter of our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson called the Last Supper an unfinished meal. It's a good reminder for tonight. As we are not able to take communion at this point, this will be the time in the service where we would go into the Lord's table. He calls it an unfinished meal because the sacrament is only a taste of what is to come. Jesus said so in our passage this evening. In verse 25 of Mark 14, Jesus said, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When Jesus returns, there will be a feast like no other. The book of Revelation calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. So though we can't be together for communion this evening, let's close our service singing of the feast that is to come. Let us sing, we will feast in the house of Zion.